Hi, I'm David Freudberg, the host of Humankind. People sometimes ask about the big picture of our work. Why do we present these programs? The answer is we're trying to cultivate a more cohesive sense of community. And our vision of community is based on personal ideals and values, such as compassion, generosity, equality, and civility. We aim to serve the large and growing audience of people who seek a positive alternative to media negativity and exploitation. And we strive to shed light on solutions, not just problems. If you resonate with this vision, you can support us at humanmedia.org and click How You Can Help at the top of our homepage. Thank you. Humankind is produced in association with WGBH Boston and supported by the Humankind Program Fund and a special grant from the Henry Luce Foundation. The message comes for thousands of years. There's something that when you touch it, you forget about everything else. That you've come home finally. Can you, can you develop a longing for that? And I think that's what he's, what Rumi is trying to do, is he's trying to teach us to long for something. The mind-blowing universal appeal of Jalaluddin Rumi, Sufi poet for the ages. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. Like ripples produced by the pebble tossed into a pond, the words of the Central Asian poet Jalaluddin Rumi have echoed through the centuries. But the publishing world today was taken by surprise when Rumi's intoxicated mystical verse penned in Persian in the 1200s became the best-selling poetry in America. Somehow, his subtle appreciation of nature and rapturous love of the divine speaks to our modern, restless minds and thirsty hearts. Outside Philadelphia, artist Michael Green provided stunning illustrations to the illuminated Rumi and acclaimed rendering of Rumi's poems into English. He has been hugely popular for hundreds of years in the Middle East um, and in Asia, where where for, for, for hundreds of years, people have gathered and stay, are staying up all night, even as we speak, uh, singing his poetry. It's in, in that tradition, it's sung and not recited. Why he is popular in the West now is probably due to Coleman Barks, who was the first one to take his... his uh, his words and take them out of scholarly translations and kind of put them in a Walt Whitman open American free verse. Birdsong brings relief to my longing. I am just as ecstatic as they are, but with nothing to say. Please, universal soul, practice some song or something through me. 
Here's an interesting passage from one of Rumi's poems about the different experiences that life visits upon us. A joy, a depression, a meanness, some momentary awareness comes as an unexpected visitor. Welcome and attend them all, even if they're a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture. Still treat each guest honorably. He may be clearing you out for some new delight. Mm. There is a very traditional spiritual exercise which is called um, find the witness. And I think that's what he's, he's talking about is, you know, in the turmoil of life, which just is, which is wraps us up in our own personal dramas, he is saying we can also witness this drama that we are an actor in and, and pulling back and getting the bigger picture, suddenly everything kind of loosens up and, and, and allows some kind of spiritual growth and a deeper understanding to take place. So um, it's, it's very interesting watching Rumi go through a lot of these um, uh, spiritual exercises that we may have uh, encountered, but all of a sudden they're in a, a marvelous poem and, and, uh, and very easy going down. Rumi was born more than 800 years ago in a region of Persia where his father served as a scholar and jurist. After the Mongols invaded, his family fled to Konya in what is modern-day Turkey. At the age of 37, Rumi had a chance encounter with an unusual man of mystical presence named Shams-e-Tabrizi. Shams was a Sufi, one who had transcended the material world and who lived in communion with the essential source from which all religions take their inspiration. Rumi's life was forever changed by the example and guidance of his teacher, Shams. It gave rise to some of the most stirring poetry ever written. Michael Green. Rumi is marvelous because he covers the full spectrum of human experience. His poetry, which goes on and on, is his Mathnabi, which is his masterwork, is whatever, a thousand pages long. And it's filled with stories and anecdotes and off-color jokes and all kinds of stuff which really speaks to anybody wherever they are. And then it's like he, he has no trouble going down to the first floor or, or down into the basement and tell a few dirty jokes. And, and then you, and, and he, he gathers everyone there listening to him and he says, let's go up to the second floor. And then it's, he looks out the window and he tells a story there. And before you know it, he's gone all the way up to the top floor and whoosh. There suddenly he's, he's speaking the highest perfect wisdom. And he does it again and again. He's like an elevator. He goes, he goes right down into the, just the teeming marketplace. And then he comes up and up and up and up. And all of a sudden it's like whoosh. There's nobody even there. And you're not there. And, it, and it's just consciousness. The power of silence. The power of silence. And I, I think also one senses with Rumi, you know, destiny. That, that it, for some reason, he has a part to play 
on the planet right now, and and it's 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 just we're we're watching it happen and unfold. What do you think that role is? Well, I think in some bizarre way, you know, on one hand, we see playing out this what is called the what is it the war of civilizations, and there's a lot of people who want it to happen, and a lot of people who are pushing for it. Both uh, from the West and and the Christian civilization, and East and the Islamic civilization, there's a lot of bad people on both sides who would like nothing better than to go at it hammer and tongs, and and somehow in this mess, um, Rumi is the only Muslim I can think of with complete street cred in the West, and not only does he have street cred in the West. He has street cred in the East. He's held in reverence throughout the, out the, the Muslim world, out the Islamic world. And he stands up and he declares all these religions, all this singing is just one song. And that might be one of the handful of sound bites which is necessary to save the planet right now from something really awful. Michael Green had his own powerful encounter with a 20th century Sufi named Bawa Muhayyadeen who performed great works of charity and taught students in modern-day Sri Lanka and for 15 years in the Philadelphia area where he was buried in 1986. Practicing the Sufi tradition requires the human heart to open, allowing our defensiveness and worries and fears gradually to melt into love. Opening of the heart was a theme that runs through Jalaluddin Rumi's poetry. You know, I just had a grandson. He's just three months old now, you know. And he's just a... Everyone says that they're just a little... But you sit him, you sit him there, prop him up with pillows, and you, you sit in front of him, and you engage his eyes. And he's looking around, and he's going... But if you can look in his eyes and open your heart. And as you open your heart, he ceases to be something separate. As soon as you do that, suddenly his focus is, he is not a three-month-old going ba 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 boo boo He suddenly, his eyes are, are locked on yours. Try this with a baby sometime. If you can get there, he is very happy to be there, too, because that's where he is. And generally, we're dragging him down to a place where you're a baby and I'm a grown-up and I'm going to go, oh, aren't you nice, the prettiest little baby, boo-boo-boo. But if you go to some ancient, ancient place and say, welcome, I'm glad we're here together, and maybe we're not even together, maybe we're the same thing, and all of a sudden, he's, his eyes are, they suddenly get wide, and oh, um, and that's what the heart is. That's what the heart is. Right. Children are often naturally open-hearted. Yeah. And we adults are often 
trying to fight our way out of hearts that we've closed, out of pain and fear and reaction. This 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 ancient teacher, which um, which I which I encountered in, in of all places in Philadelphia, um, uh, old 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 man, maybe well over a hundred years old, although he didn't have wrinkles. Um, he, he he was a Sufi, which is which is the uh, the, the the mystical component described of his of of Islam, but he but he he defined it as something which went back thousands of years, so it predates Islam. But he was once asked what Sufism is. And in America, Sufism has gotten um, identified with a lot of activities, with Sufi dancing or chanting, a lot, a lot of different kinds of practices. And he said, you know, Sufism is the vast, open space of the heart, which has, a room, for the, has room in it for everything, and still room left over. But it is, it is a matter of the heart. And we all have wounded hearts and heart, scarred hearts. And What do you mean we have wounded hearts? Um, you know, we've all loved and lost. We've all, you know, we've all encountered uh, people who we cared about, that there was some need on their part, and it didn't include you. You know, I have a picture, a, a picture that I, I did, a piece of art, and it, and it shows a heart, and inside of it is a smaller heart pointed upward. And uh, this was one of Bawa's teachings. He said, we have two hearts. This is a Rumi teaching also. We have two hearts. One, the, the one we normally speak of and that we see the, the picture of, it points downward. And that is our love of everything in form, everything in the world, our friends, our wives, our children, our jobs, Everything that everything that has a form, that is recognizably part of the the universe with form, that's that love, and it's good, and we have to love things, but inside of that is the secret heart that points up, and that is infatuated with the great mystery, and it's the the heart that points downward that gets wounded. You know, you love the girlfriend and, and, and all of a sudden she calls you one day and she says it's over or whatever. Uh, you love your parents and then all of a sudden something happens and there's some cruelty that happens and you're wounded. The heart that points upward is never disappointed. We just have to get in touch with it. talking with Michael Green, an illustrator who likes the title Illuminator, from his art studio and gallery in rural East Fallowfield, Pennsylvania. He paints natural objects like a leaf or the sun or a pool of water with exquisite subtle colors and graceful ornate borders. He has published many calendars and his best-selling books with Coleman Barks include The Illuminated Rumi and The Illuminated Prayer. He studied with the 20th century Sufi Bawa Muhayyadeen. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg. For more information on this segment, The Illumination of Rumi, please visit humanmedia.org. I consider myself humbly um, 
a practitioner of what I call the Michelangelo School of Art, and I have to explain that. Michelangelo was once in some somewhere, and some patron was describing him in these magnificent terms of being a great artist. And Michelangelo, as the story goes, um, got quite annoyed, and he said, "I'm not an artist." He said, "Sometimes I'm shown a block of stone, and I see the figures imprisoned inside." All I do is remove what doesn't belong. And um, any really successful piece that I do is like that. In the case of the Rumi books, I, I start out with some lines, uh, some beautiful line of poetry, and I'm trying to find a form that, that complements it. And I play around. And, oh, that looks right. Oh, I, that doesn't belong. I would take that away. That... Oh, yeah, but it should be more of a rosy color. Well, suppose we suppose there's a face over here. No, not over there. It should go underneath. Anyway, it's just playing around. Bing, that's, that's, I got that right. And then all of a sudden, it lands. It's really trying to give form to the, the secrets of the great mystery and not have anything to do with me. You've inspired musicians, including your son Kabir, a guitarist, to render some of Rumi's words in song performed by the Illumination Band. Let's give a listen to some of that. Middle East, you don't recite uh, Rumi, you sing Rumi. So I got some musicians together, and, and then one of the musicians was just sitting over there, and he started doing his own thing. And his own thing was kind of, his own personal taste was sort of Appalachian, bluegrass, gospel kind of, kind of music, real, real roots American. And I heard it, and, the, you know, in a lot of that music, there's this longing quality in, in bluegrass and, 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 and that kind of folk music. It's longing. And it just, I thought, oh. And I, I opened, I opened the, uh, one, of, one of my books just at random. And I said, could you sing this to that? Because Rumi is so tied up with that longing. <laughs> 
He, sing, sing the verse of Rumi. Right, just, just uh, could you sing a Rumi poem? And he sang it, and he's just faking it, and we both heard it. That, that Rumi's longing and our own American roots, folk, music longing was, a per, was just a perfect match. And we we st- and we said, well, let's get together again. And I and I took the the, the poetry and and put it into st- you know the kind of uh, stanzas and and so on that have the rhymes and and work with with a, with a, as musical as a song. And what is Rumi longing for? I I think he's trying to teach us to have longing. If Rumi is who he appears to be. He's in deep, deep contact with Godhead, great mystery, being knowledge, bliss, um, Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, whatever. He's, he's, in, he's, in, he's up to his neck in grace. But longing is, is so, is, is a... Um, is a uh, an important, crucial path for our time. You know, if you can't meditate, if you can't go to church, if you can't go to prayers, at least you can long for it. It's like, you know, if you if you have a girlfriend and you're not with her and you're not longing for her, there's something that's not cooking, right? <laughs> and and it's that longing. Um, what do you long for? You know, do you long for? When I was a kid, I I wanted a, a motorcycle. <laughs> I longed for a motorcycle. What do you long for now? You know, fi- that's a real exercise. What what really gets you longing? Do, there's always something that you long for, and that's that's a starting place. You know, and but then can you can you ramp it up a few uh, you know a little bit? Can you long for God? Can you long for whatever it is that everyone keeps, you know, the message comes for thousands of years. There's something that when you touch it, you forget about everything else. You've come home finally. Can you, can you develop a longing for that? And I think that's what, he's, what Rumi is trying to do is he's trying to teach us to long for something to long for the, the, the sweetness which makes sugar for something forgotten. Uh, so, so much of his poetry is winding his way from that cellar then to a place of sweetness, then to a place of better than sweetness, and then to, to longing for the source of sweetness. But few will hear the deepest secrets hidden in my trembling air There are no ears Can hear these secrets Only your heart That's stripped and bare But it flows From out of spirit Spirit flows From out of form We can't conceal That mystic mixing See the soul when it's never been born. This food is filled 
world's on fire No earthly wind can play its tune Just be that empty, be that hollow Reflect the light like the full moon La 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 What about for people who don't believe it's possible to attain a high truth that we could long for? These ideals are all well and good, but of course I'll never get there. One of the things that I, I loved about Bawa is that he came from South India, and 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 which has this marvelous tradition of where the, the cultures and the religions are all very comfortable with each other. And and he was he would swerve in and out of the the Vedic understanding and, and terminology and then into Sufi terminology and Islamic terminology. And so he would he would often move into other world views. And one of the world views that 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 had coinage for him was the 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 idea that there are, are four great ages and that we live in the final age, which is called the Kali Yuga. The the bad news is is that this is this is the time of strife and discord, but also when when it is so difficult to focus on God, he says all you have to do, and this is written into the kind of the uh, the programming right now, is just turn just a little bit in that direction, in that direction of the great mysteries. Just turn a little bit. There's one step toward. God and God will take ten steps toward you. So I I guess that's that's all you can say is that if you're willing to just accept as a working premise that there is something more to it than for you know three score and seven years and it's finished, but that consciousness is which everyone knows they have a consciousness, that consciousness, paying attention to consciousness can lead to all kinds of things, all kinds of marvelous things. Rumi, like all great poets, sees beauty in unexpected places. Are there aspects of beauty that he has revealed to you? He finds beauty in loss. You know where I mean I I just I just kind of like to, autumn, like autumn. You know, come come back, my friend. Is 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 the name of a of an opening line of a poetry, of a poem, and I think he finds beauty. You know, you just ask, what if someone doesn't buy into the thing at all? What do you say then? And the fact is, is that we all feel a sense of loss, and he he does this kind of Aikido role where, where even, even in loss, there's some kind of beauty that he discovers. And again, he's down in the cellar, and all of a sudden, he, he turns it around so that you're going up the elevator again, 
and in that loss is a, is, a, is a kind of sweetness, and in that sweetness is a memory, and in that memory is a recreation, and in that recreation is a, is a first tentative touch, and in that touch is an embrace, and then all of a sudden, um, here we are again. Artist Michael Green, illustrator of The Illuminated Rumi and The Illuminated Prayer. Michael studied with the late Sufi master, Bawa Muhayyadeen. You're listening to Humankind. I'm David Freudberg, studio recording by Antonio Oliart-Rose, editorial assistance from Thomas Royal and Kathy Graham, webmaster Brian K. Johnson. Special thanks to Al Banks and John Knapp at WHYY Philadelphia, the Illumination Band, Sounds True, for permission to include an excerpt of Rumi, Voice of Longing with Coleman Barks, and to Tony Buck. Our program is produced by Human Media in association with WGBH Boston. Program development provided by Shart Media. You can hear more episodes of our series at humankindpodcast.org. That's humankindpodcast.org. This segment, The Illumination of Rumi with Michael Green, is Humankind Program number 186. The executive producer is David Freudberg. Please subscribe to our free weekly podcast. The title is Humankind on Public Radio. You can find it at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcast services, as well as through our website. Again, the podcast title is Humankind on Public Radio. And if you'd like to support our program, please visit humankindpodcast.org. And at the top, click on How You Can Help. Thank you.